Right, this week uh, we're starting our Angels and Demons series. Um, as I said, I think you've got to see the email uh, that we have to be very careful in prayer. So uh, prayer outside of this time as well as we go through this subject. Uh, angels, obviously, the good side, uh, and demons being the bad side. Um, so much, much prayer for next week as well uh, as we look into this subject of demons um, and many people affected by both angels and demons, misunderstanding of angels and demons as well, um, of all sorts of demonic stuff going on for people as well who are affected by this, susceptible by the devil's work. And so we pray for those also. Those people are tormented, uh, and we've seen that in the Bible also. So uh, lots of prayer to surround this series this month uh, as we look into angels and demons. And this one, of course, we're looking into angels in particular. Um, it's not overly spoken about, apparently, this subject. Uh, I don't know if you've ever known that, but I've read that it's not spoken about a lot in churches. I think uh, many preachers, even many, I would say, scholars, people who are well-studied uh, as, as pastors and experienced pastors, even, I believe, right back to Wesley, but uh, didn't necessarily embrace the subject, shall we say, and rightly so. It's not an easy subject to talk about a lot and we need to be careful and wise when we do talk about it uh, so we need to be careful we need to be careful we don't get carried away with the created what god has created and rather get carried away with the creator uh, instead of the created uh, and focus on him so that all glory all honor and all praise comes back to a holy god and so with this we'll look at uh, angels uh, what angels are their purpose and a What's the relationship we have to angels? What's the biblical relationship we have to angels? And so what I want us to see today is uh, to understand a right relationship with them uh, in light of what we see in the secular world, uh, but primarily in relation to God the Creator. If you look through the Bible, we can see that uh, angels have always existed. Um, but the first confirmation that we find when we look at angels uh, is found in Psalm 148, that they are... They were created at the beginning. They didn't come along later. Uh, and we see that here. Psalm 148, 2-5 says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And of course, it doesn't say angels. It says heavenly hosts. But they're included in a, in a group of heavenly hosts. Uh, some of those are... Um, cherubim, seraphim, I can't remember the names. This, I'm using my memory here without notes. Uh, seraphim, uh, and those are heavenly hosts. The cherubim, I think I did some, uh, some sermon on it a while ago. Uh, I was going to put a picture in. And if you've ever seen cherubims, how they, what they actually look like, I've said before, they're not babies with wings. Uh, and in fact, we'll discover that angels don't have wings either. Um, but they, they're actually horrible-looking beasts in, in, in sense. They're described as four faces, lion, part human, part ox, and all this sort of stuff. There's, there's four, they, they look very aggressive, and rightly so, because they were garden of gar the, the Garden of Eden. And so they kind of have to look quite aggressive. Uh, I don't think if I approached a baby, I'd be particularly scared uh, and probably walk straight past it in the Garden of Eden. So God was on on purpose, created a being that was so aggressive and fierce uh, that it would guard his garden. It would guard uh, his perfect garden he created and didn't let humans back in again after we sinned. Uh, and so they are meant to look not, not particularly inviting. They're meant to repel us, certainly repel Adam, uh, after he, uh, Adam and Eve were rejected uh, from the garden. And so what we find here is that this is describing all the heavenly hosts with creation itself, is created all at the same time. And angels uh, in the Bible also demonstrate, they're not just uh, beings that are just there, they actually have a moral judgment. They actually can decide what they want to do. They can decide whether they follow God or not as well. So they've actually got the ability to make moral judgments about who they are and who they follow, what they effectively believe. Uh, and we've seen this, in fact, because some have sinned. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So we know that angels have a sense of, certainly a sense of freedom to choose whether they 
follow the creator God or whether they rebel against him. And we know that because we'll get into uh, also how Lucifer, which is right now how Lucifer was one of God's highest angels. And he chose, got a bit above himself, he got full of himself and he thought, I can be just as like God as God is. Uh, and he was one of the highest angels. And he was always in God's presence all the time uh, before he and other angels rebelled against God. And we again, we see this in Ezekiel 28, 14 to 16. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I so ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. Uh, you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created uh, till wickedness was found in you. Uh, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. This is, uh, strangely, uh, me and Dan were talking about this last week. Uh, this is King Tyra. Uh, and what we know is that this is actually about the devil. Uh, it's not actually about a person. It's actually talking about the devil himself. And God says, you have committed the highest sin, highest treason, treason against God. And so now uh, I'm going to basically eject you from heaven completely. And so then maybe the question might come, can angels be saved? Because maybe in, in our view, we kind of look at angels and we think, ah, angels, and we picture them with the white and the white clothing and maybe the wings, although they don't have wings. And we might think, well, that's not fair. Surely they should have the chance to be saved like us. The problem for angels is that they're never tempted. So at no point in the life of an angel, as it were, um, they're never tempt they never have this same thing that we have, which is that they're tempted to not follow God. They have more knowledge than us of God. They're around God all the time. Uh, and they, they can choose, and there's no excuse for them, choose purposefully to not follow him. And that's what we see in the Bible. We see some angels decide not to follow God, and instead follow Lucifer, who himself, rebels against God, and so there's other angels who then uh, rebel also. And the problem for them is that they have no, let me say, excuse. They, there's no excuse for them uh, to have done that. Being in the presence of God meant that they clearly would know that rebelling against God would be the utmost of evil. They're in the presence of a holy, pure God. I mean, within heaven itself, within the presence of the Lord, Whereas, whereas we, and again, sin is not an excuse that we can use and say, well, I didn't know it was sin. We know what sin is because we're Christians. We've, we've had the truth revealed to us. But, the, but angels right now are in the presence of a holy God. That means they're in the presence of perfection, presence of purity. Nothing uh, can get into that environment. However, angels, again, as we've seen, can choose on purpose to become fallen angels. Um, and in fact, as I said, they would know so much more than us of the knowledge of God that if they rebelled, then their punishment would be even greater in regards to God's wrath. So as you are closer to God, and angels being one of the closest, the wrath of God is even more so on those who are even closer to God. So we see this in Luke 12, 47 to 48. Uh, and it says, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. And 48 says, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows, so lesser punishment. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So we know that angels are given much more than us in terms of the, the, the work that they have to do to come serve God, give us, uh, set their messengers of God so they'll come down in different forms, maybe not at all. Sometimes they're invisible. Most of the time they're invisible. Sometimes they take bodily form, and we'll see this uh, coming up as well. But you see they're more entrusted because they're close to God. They're very close to him. So when they fall, the wrath of God is even more so on them uh, because of their rebellion. There's no excuse uh, for what they've done. So what we can see so far, what we looked at, we've seen that the angels are created by God. They've got an ability to make moral judgments. 
about themselves and then coupled with the high level of knowledge about God, this would actually make them highly intelligent beings. Uh, and so they're not, they're, not, they're not almost just used like puppets. They're actually highly intelligent. They actually do the work of God on purpose. I think we, we looked at, um, in Sodom and Gomorrah, when the two angels, recently we read that the two angels came down. And it's only mentioned once because then they only seem as men. So the angels actually turn into, as it were, in appearance, two men. Uh, and then they're invited to come to the house. And then the, men, the, pe- the people in Sodom and Gomorrah then come and try and bash down the door and say, we want to take these men in probably fewer words and censoring that area until... Uh, but but they, they come after them. And so they no one knows actually their angels. It's only that we're told at the start that their angels would take bodily form. And so they, they're highly intelligent beings. They, they know what they're doing. They're not, they're not just kind of uh, almost like a puppet uh, from, from God, as it were. Um, we also know that there's a rank, there's an order, a rank among the angels too. Um, Michael is called the archangel. We know that. Uh, known as the one of known as, known as one of the chief princes, that's in Daniel ten thirteen, and it says, "But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty one days." Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. What we also know is that he's the leader of the angelic army. Revelation 12, verse 7 to 8 says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Uh, And you notice, again, there, there's more angels, but they're demonic angels. They're they're angels that have fallen from God, fallen from grace, followed Lucifer, uh, followed the devil, and have become followers of him. And that's why you get the, the battle in Revelation, because there is an army of evil angels, and there's an army of uh, holy angels heavenly angels um, there's no spoiler in this we know wins right which is great news uh, the heavenly hosts win uh, the angels on God's side win the battle and they they win it outright um, so what we know from that is there's, there's a hierarchy and an order as well so th- this gets quite complex it's not just it's not just angels visiting us it's not just uh, angels on the one-off occasion there's quite a complex network of angels uh, that operate for God's purposes and for his work too. Uh, from a physical perspective, uh, angels are spirits. We see this Hebrews 1 verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And they can't usually be seen by humans uh, unless God has a purpose to make it so. And we find this in Luke 2, uh, 12, 15. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths uh, cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God uh, and saying, Glory to the God high, in the highest heaven and on the earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, so that's an observation of angels, they've actually seen them, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So what we know is they can take human form. They can take any type of form. Even if angels themselves were still angels, they can be seen as angels, but they can also take human form too. And we see that in the account of the risen Christ, uh, where Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James, and Salome find the empty tomb. We see this in Mark 16, verse 4 to 7. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which is very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Uh, I I recently watched something uh, where... Christian pastor, leader, uh, had written a book and he was taking questions from the floor, always dangerous. Um, and he'd written this book about you know, why the Bible is true. And this woman had come up to him and she got to the mic and she said, um, aren't there contradictions in 
the gospel. And to cut a long story short, what he basically tried to tell her was, there isn't contradictions, there are complementary. So they're, they're all complementary to one another. Not all of them note the same thing that happens. And what he tried to explain to her was that um, it doesn't mean it's contradictory. Because an absence of something doesn't mean it didn't happen. Whereas even a presence of something doesn't mean it didn't happen either. And the reason why I tell you that is because, in particular, this particular part is what she questioned. She said, they're all across the different accounts of the gospel, with the stone being rolled away, either it's three men, two men, it's an angel, it's a gardener. And what she couldn't really understand was this idea that maybe, as human beings, and this has also been proven, by the way, in car accidents, we tell certain parts of an account we see of something that we witness, and someone else then gives a slightly different account, but with the same facts. So they might leave out some facts. And scientifically, it's been tested to show that that's why they get multiple accounts. That's why police get multiple accounts of an offence, because people leave out certain aspects of what they've seen, because they focus on what is their own bias, what is something that, that they've, they've only noticed. Someone else will notice something different. And so... When we certainly read something like this, it's really important to know that none of the Gospels, this is a little bit of a side thing, but I need to say, because it, it frustrated me a lot to watch this video. I'm telling you now. And I had to watch it twice, by the way, because then I showed Dawn the video as well. Uh, and then I got more annoyed. Um, and, it's, and the reason why that is is because the guy that did the video, it, it's very interesting. He basically said the reason why she can't believe is because she doesn't want to believe. The reason why she doesn't want to believe that the accounts are real, that they're proper eyewitness accounts that have been tested by the law as well, by legal, uh, by lawyers as well. We know that books have been written on the Gospels and they have passed the level that's required in a court of law to be eyewitness accounts. He said she, just, she doesn't want to accept it. So what she does is, uh, and many people do, is that they look for things that are not there. And so the moment you try and say, oh, no, no, they're not, they're eyewitness accounts, they'll find something else to say, oh, no, but what about this and what about that? Eventually, you're chasing down this kind of line of this, this conversation that's going to go nowhere. I think it's just really important to note that because I, I think what we can get lost in is, is a worry that maybe the Gospels, we worry, some Christians worry that the Gospels aren't coherent. Actually, the Gospels are. I can tell you now, non-Christians have tested it, and it's true. That's a side bit. I needed to tell you that because I need to encourage you. If someone tells you that, if someone thinks that, they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. And I want to encourage you in that as well. I would encourage you then to read all four Gospels. I would encourage you to note down the bits that are not mentioned in each one, and then you for yourself can tell whether they're contradictory. Anyway, with that off my chest, let's get back to angels. <laughs> so, this helps us understand uh, this concept of angels. Uh, what appears to be consistent is that uh, God sends angels for our protection. And it, even here we see it in Mark that uh, God sends angels for the protection of his disciples, of the followers that come, uh, it, even though they're not being attacked. But for their protection, they're shocked that Jesus isn't there. So the angel's task is to tell them it's okay, Jesus has risen. And, and they're there to do that protection. That's the work they've got to do. Psalm 91, 11 says this, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. But what is clear even from this verse alone is that no one has a specific guardian angel. This is a big subject in Christian and non-Christian circles, does do guardian angels exist? Guardian angels do not exist. And I'll I, I tell you how it works. Guardian angels are sent by task. They're not sent by person. They're sent by task. So it doesn't mean that you'll get the same angel. Again, I need to be careful about the language here that we don't wander into worshipping angels. We're not doing that, but sometimes God does send different angels for different tasks. And that does happen. That's proven in the word as well. Acts 12, 15. 
says, you are, you're out of your mind. They told her when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. This is when Peter comes back. And you think from this verse, there is a guardian angel. It must be his angel. But it's more likely, even though she said that, it's actually more likely that it's, it's the task of this particular angel to go and knock on the door and to tell them, obviously then Peter appears in front of them when they open the door. But it's rather that this particular angel is sent by task. Now, guardian angel issue is very important because it's, it's in probably in every type of angel movie, angel TV show, and within people who really worship angels, uh, they think that they have their own one guardian angel. Uh, and, and this is important that that's not true. I'm going to stand on the word. I've looked at it. I'm going to tell you it's by task. So you may have an angel that comes and helps you invisibly, not always visible, but invisibly for a particular reason and for a particular job, as it were. But speaking of this particular event, when Peter was freed, we also see that angels have this great power to do God's will and they can affect the earthly world. So Acts 12 verse 7 says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and a chain fell off Peter's wrists. So angels can affect worldly things. They can interact with worldly objects too um, by the command, by the power of God. And they can do that too. Now the question is, do they do that today? Uh, angels do still, as far as I'm concerned, biblically, do still do what they're meant to do. They do still minister to people by God's work and he sends them and he, he sends them to do that work for him. Most of the time, you won't always see the angels. Most of the time, you won't. And so let's, let's look at the purpose of angels because I think this will probably help a bit more um, about how we see them. Even in understanding what angels are, we've, all, we've just seen some of the purpose they're used for by God. And it appears that humans and angels are the only beings who have self-awareness, who have moral judgment. So us and angels are the only group of created beings that are able to make choices and make decisions. But it is the difference of the fate between humans and angels uh, that should remind us of our gracious, our goddings. Uh, I, sp I spoke about this some time ago when we were looking at angels, and one of the things that was interesting was that angels have no concept of a fallen nature. So they don't understand what it is to be saved. And I said they can't be saved, but it's because they have no concept of salvation. Uh, they don't, they're not fallen human beings in the same sense. They're fallen, and once they're fallen, they're fallen forever. But they have no concept of salvation. So actually, they, they, they minister to us in the sense of a view of they come from a perfect place. There is no need for them to be saved. There's, they're not being saved from something. By the way, people don't turn into angels either, just in case that was a thing you thought happened. People don't turn into angels. Uh, people go either to heaven or they go to hell, and that's a fact, and they get a new body. If they go to heaven, they get a new, new mind, a whole new everything. No more pain and no more tears uh, as the verse goes. But we're the only two groups uh, that have uh, a couple of things in common. And so the difference of the, the fate between humans and angels, it should remind us of God's graciousness. Hebrews 2, 14 to 16 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So it's not angels. Angels are not saved or not offered salvation. One of the major differences between us and angels. And so one of the purposes of angels is to remind us of how gracious God is. He is gracious enough that we can rebel against him and yet he has offered Jesus Christ as our salvation. That we can trust in him and we can be saved. 
He redeems human beings who have sinned against him. And angels is the angels are the reminder of, of the heavenly that exists, the heavenly world that exists that we can't see. And so when there is a moment, and sometimes you might know that angels might be ministering to you, it, it can happen. Um, it's a reminder that actually the heavenly realm is, is active and working right now. As we live and breathe, as, we, as we're here today, the heavenly realm is working. God is working his plan out, uh, even as we speak right now. Second purpose of angels. Angels uh, as created beings, let's say, remind us that there is an unseen world. So Revelation 5, 11 to 12 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. Who can do the maths? Okay. Uh, They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Verse 12, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. When John saw a glimpse of heaven, he saw what is in our time on earth unseen. He had a he had a view into the heavenly realm. And angels, as we've seen in the verses earlier, are for our encouragement that God is using his messengers to do his work on earth and give us confidence that God does very much send them from the place currently unseen. So we know they interact, and we can even talk to them because John spoke to the angels as well. He spoke to the angels directly. We know they, he can, we can converse with them. Certainly John did. John conversed with the angels when he had a glimpse of heaven. And so we know that there's an interaction that we can have with them too. And then there's the other example. Angels are examples of, our, of obedience and worship toward the Holy God. Uh, and these are obviously the angels that are still worshipping God. Obviously the ones that have fallen, Lucifer himself, uh, are not great examples. Uh, and in fact, they are examples of what not to do uh, when you're a Christian is to obviously not reject God. Please don't reject God. Certainly after you've accepted him, we pray. I've seen many people uh, lose, leave the faith. Even the, the, the woman I was talking about in the video I watched, she used to be a Christian. And she walked away because she was deceived by the fact that she thought all these Gospels were contradictory. And so obedience is something that the angels show us is really important. They worship, as we see in this verse, a holy God. They do nothing but all day long worship God in his holy place. Angels delight in being humble servants to God, performing their assigned task in obedience to him. And when I read that, I thought, um, for some reason, I I thought of a corny joke about angel delight. And I think, you know what I got into? I looked up angel delight and I thought, what does that mean? Have you ever wondered what angel delight means? You ever wonder what it means? The reason why I say that is because I don't know the English of which it is using. Is it, is it that's what angels delight in? Or is it something else? Do you understand what I mean? So I looked at this and I thought, I'm telling you now, angels do not delight in strawberry-flavoured mix. Right? They certainly do not. I, I, and I'm now stumped by what, why they called pink, fluffy, gooey stuff angel delight. And someone needs to get me that answer. <laughs> so I'm telling you now, they do not delight. And I don't know where no one got the concept that angels would delight in, in pink, fluffy, uh, gooey stuff, rather. But anyway, they don't do that. They delight in the Lord. But as angels find it uh, their highest joy to praise God continuously, what they're showing us is that we should also delight in God also. More difficult for us... I, truly believe that's why we have Jesus, we have salvation, and the angels don't, don't need that. Angels don't get distracted. Angels don't have the struggle of this world by which to, to, to struggle with temptation. Whereas we have Jesus, and Jesus is there to save us. Jesus is, gives us that way that we can try to find a quiet place and delight in him, delight in who he is and what he's done for us. So we should also delight each day, sing God's praises, counting this as the highest and most worthy use of our time and our greatest joy. 
And finally, the, the most important, important purpose of angels is to directly glorify God. Whatever they do, they glorify God in what they do. They do it simply because of who he is. Psalm 103.20 says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding. You obey his word. Is that all he obeys or not? That should be 21, but I've only got 20. Anyway. Uh, it says, Lord of all heavenly hosts, you see his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Clearly their glory to God and the work they do is all tied up together. But they glorify God because of his works. They worship him because of what he's doing on earth. They don't take glory for themselves. They don't necessarily uh, even... Um, uh, I mean, they, they must enjoy the work, right? Because they're serving God. But... Uh, they, they, they glorify more in what God is doing across the whole universe. So his plan, they see it from afar. And this is something that we can't see. We can't see God's plan apart from what we read in the word, that one day Jesus, Jesus will come back and he will bring judgment to this world. But the angels are seeing literally these parts coming together because they sit with him in heaven and they can see all these things coming together. Each angel goes out, does his task. That's what God has called him to do. And they come back, and the reason why they can glorify God is because they know why he's doing it. And they know what part that's played in God's plan altogether. And so they come back and they glorify him. And so the process keeps going and going. You keep getting these angels that keep going back, doing the work, coming back, glorify God, go and do the task again. And so they just love and they see what's happening across the whole world. This is encouragement for us. We should be uh, happy that there are uh, uh, other beings, heavenly beings, other than God, who's actually seeing his salvation plan come together 1 peter 1 uh, verse 10 to 12 says concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care uh, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the messiah and the glories that would follow it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Angels look into the plan of God. So when there's a sense of when there's an angel ministering to you, it's more than just doing a job. It's more than just doing a task. That angel and all the others are seeing God's plan come together piece by piece. And they're witnessing this across. And, and you, then you can maybe get an idea why, when we talk about heaven, why everyone's worshipping God. If you had, if our minds were capable, because they will be in heaven, of seeing what God is doing and his whole plan, and see it unfold in front of you without all those distractions that we see in the world, would you not just glorify God for that? Would that not just fill you with so much joy to see that even though in this mess you can see all the little parts coming together? And that's what the angels are witnessing, all these little parts coming together. And so then, as they're doing that, let's, let's take our last point, and I think probably the most important point, our relationship to angels. Um... As I said, humans and angels are the only beings that are alike in their particular ways God has created us. But it is right that we keep a healthy distinction between us and angels in order to have a healthy biblical relationship to them. One particular thing stands out is that angels are not created in the image of God. So they're, they're not created in his image. They're part of the created universe, the created world. Uh, it was all part of that earlier verse that we looked at. Uh, but this is crucial because it means... We're more like God than the angels are. And again, I need to caveat this and be really careful. <laughs> doesn't mean we're gods, okay? For some reason, people take that as being gods. We're not. But made in the image of God means we're more like God than something else. So we're more like God than angels are because angels are not made in the image of God. They're created beings to do his work, be messengers of what he wants to do. 1 Corinthians uh, 6 verses 1 to 3 and this was about lawsuits 
uh, among believers. Um, but it has a, a, a helpful uh, point here. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? This is amazing. We're going to be judging the world. We're going to have the right, to a certain degree, to judge the world. And it's going to come later on in Revelation. But it continues. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? So this was about the lawlessness within society. Uh, and then uh, what Paul's trying to speak of is a greater judgment that we'll have, a power, as it were, by Jesus, but only within limited certain ability to judge the world that will be uh, that we came from and he says do you not know that we will judge angels so then we know that we are will be higher than angels that god's regard for his creation is that we're higher than them at the moment we're not scripture says so scripture says that we're not angels are a little higher than us and so we know that at least for now Angels are higher than us, quite rightly, because they're with God right now. But when we go and join God, certainly in the days of Revelation, when we go and join him, we'll be part of bringing judgment to the world. I, I don't even know what that fully means, to be honest. It doesn't say specifically what part we will have in, what part of judgment is that? Now, Jesus himself is the one who will bring judgment to the world. But if we are with him, then that means we've been made holy. That means we're not judging based on our own human frailty and our own brokenness anymore because we've now joined him in heaven. That means we've been made whole, a holy and pure. And now we get to judge the world. Just to back this up, we see the same in Revelation. I'm being really careful about what I say because I, I don't want us to get high and mighty about the fact that Jesus will give us authority to be judges over the world but revelation 321 to the one who is victorious i will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as i was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne this this is this is big stuff we'll be part of what jesus does when he judges the world if we sit with him on his throne and in some sense limited sense sharing rule we then share in his judgment also. But here's the warning. That only happens if we keep the faith and remain humble. Humble to the one that gives the right in the first place. So you see how tricky it can be when we start talking about we're part of giving putting judgment on the world. We also have to be careful that that doesn't run away with us because suddenly we're we're going to be the people as we are now, putting judgment on the world. That's not true. We're going to be new, new, completely formed people, new mind, new heart, no more sin within us at all, and we'll judge as Jesus rightly judges. We'll do it absolutely perfectly and with his righteousness. But before then, the next thing we need to be aware of while we're still on earth is that angels are watching our obedience to God every day. This kind of shocked me a little bit, I have to say. This, this, this is, it's one of those ones where you think, if you, don't, if you don't explain this carefully, what you get is legalistic around what you do. And if you get this sense that angels are watching you, and it, and it is right that angels watch, and if you get so wrapped up, too wrapped up in the sense of angels being disappointed, grieving, they do do that too. They do grieve. They grieve when we sin. The risk there, though, is that we get too legalistic. And we kind of almost act as if we're pure, act as if we're righteous, and we're not. So I want to try and find a balance in this, because this is a tricky subject when we look at angels. What it's not meant to do is instill a sense of being stalked, or that you're being watched every minute of the day. Because it, it does nothing except instill fear. And we know that as Christians, we don't need to have that fear anymore. We have a fear of reverence for, for the power of God. 
but we don't need to fear his judgment because Jesus came and we believe in Jesus. Because that will distract us from our walk. Instead, they're to help us understand that God does see everything we do in the light of our hearts. It is right that we're reminded that when our sins are seemingly done in secret, angels are grieved by disobedience. Remember, angels are holy, perfect beings who are witnessing a fallen humanity behave in a sinful way. So what they're going to do is they're going to grieve because they're, they're, they've got God's heart as their mission. Their mission is to bring God's righteousness, redemption, but they're going to grieve when they when they see us sin, when they see us not have a great day in terms of our relationship with God. Even so, we should not forget that it is because of God that we pursue holiness, not because we're being watched. And this this has happened before when uh, I think probably taught in a, in a maybe an older version of Sunday school. Uh, there was, I remember, a sense of being told, not, not I was a son of God, but I've heard this, uh, that God is watching you uh, all the time. And now what it was useful was to, was to blackmail you into behaving, looking like you behave really well. And this is a, this is a terrible thing to keep, teach children. Uh, it's, it's not going to help them have a good relationship with God because all they, all they know of God at that point, if, if that's what we're doing to kids and telling them, don't you know this God who just keeps watching them and is tutting at them all the time? That, that, that's not what God is doing. God is grieved. God is, is hurt by what we do. But he, he's already sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for all our sins forevermore. And so we come back and we can come and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. So we can't, we can't go back to that. We're not going back here and saying we need to behave rightly just on the surface, actually, we, we need this heart fixed. We need this heart constantly fixed. The, the result of a broken heart is that we sin, is that we act out, and we do things that do dishonor God. So our obedience to God is not only observed by God, but he uses angels uh, to do what might be considered an inspection. Uh, an example is here, something like a restaurant critic, who disguises himself and visits a new restaurant or a mystery shopper who pretends to shop but ultimately reports back on the performance of staff. They're, they're doing that type of job. And now it's nowhere near that level. It's much higher than that. It's much more important than that. Um, but you get the idea. They're reporting back. They're, they're telling God. They're showing God, although God knows. But their job is to watch, certainly believers, and to help them, console them, bring them comfort, when the time of struggle. Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 2 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So we don't know when we're going to have angels visiting us because actually they may take human form uh, and actually may knock at our door. They may be someone who sees us in the street I mean, it be a stranger that comes and says something to us. Who knows? Uh, very rare occasions I can probably remember weird interactions with people and think, that's not a normal interaction. Someone who comes to speak about, just suddenly randomly comes up to you and they say something, certainly probably about God. Go, where does that come from? Why has that happened? I can't say they're angels for sure. The idea is that as long as we focus on being holy to God, being honouring of him, these occasions might happen where we're actually entertaining, as it were, uh, angels. But all this to say that our relationship to angels is one of being constantly aware of their presence. Uh, and in fact, in this way of understanding the role of angels in our everyday lives, it can help us to understand how much more enriched our walk with God can be. And that being said, it's also good to draw the line between a healthy awareness of angels and an unhealthy obsession with angels. One of the things the New Age movement does is that it encourages this so-called communication with angels to seek out angels and to find them. Totally unbiblical. Uh, we don't seek angels, we seek God. 
We go through God, we go through Jesus, and we, we speak to him that way. One of the most fundamental warnings about having an unhealthy relationship to an angel is that we risk the risk of being deceived by certain angels who appear to be angels working on God's behalf. So even then, this is why we need to be aware. Galatians 1, 6 to 8, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, if we or an angel from heaven, this is Paul, by the way, if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Perception. The perception of, of someone saying they're a Christian or an angel claiming to be from God can happen and he can, they can deceive us. But this is to say that we're not to judge the truth on what someone says. So this is why, I, even this morning, I was at North Heath this morning preaching a message. And one of the things I said to them uh, was, and I probably got uh, Steve in trouble, maybe. Uh, and I said, uh, I said, when I, the words I say here and the verses I use, you need to test it. You need to test everything that I say in terms of the, the scripture that I've used to prove a point, to make my case, as it were. I said to him, now, what it doesn't mean is that you challenge authority. It's not that you're trying to challenge the authority that God has placed there, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I can present the gospel to you in perfect ways and not, not necessarily always use it in the right way. I can fall victim to deception. I could, and I can even think of my Christian life and think, I used to think certain things about the Bible, and now I've studied a bit more and got into the word even more. I know these things not to be true anymore. I know they were lies. I know they were deceitful. So we're all going to go through this, but I encourage, especially as we read this verse, uh, that we don't take people by their word or their reputation. Rather, we test it against Scripture and the Gospel. And if these people are speaking truth, if I'm speaking truth, if anyone speaks truth, then it will be proven in Scripture itself. To emphasize this point, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 15, I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He says, it's no wonder that many Christians have fallen away. It's no wonder that many Christians have fallen to new age movements that have got into the church and practice unhealthy relationship with angels because they place so much on the messenger and not enough on the message being given to them. We need to be careful as Christians that we don't succumb too easily to the awe of an angel or to the concept of angels speaking to us instead of testing what is being said to us. When it happens, when we don't check that, when we're not making sure we're guarding ourselves through the word, it shows an overly unhealthy closeness to angels to the degree that all angels are trustworthy simply because they appear and sound like angels. Not all angels are trustworthy. We've seen that in these verses. Even Satan himself will masquerade as light. He will fool people to the very last day. And in fact, he will have people following him to the very last day and fight on his behalf on earth when Jesus comes. A group of people who have sadly been deceived is the Mormon community. That an angel, Moroni, spoke to Joseph Smith and revealed to him the basis of the Mormon religion. This type of revelation is contrary to the teachings of Scripture at many points. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe the person of Christ. They don't believe in justification by faith alone, and many other things. 
So we as Christians should be warned against accepting, accepting these claims or claims like them. Because what started out as someone imagining Jesus turning up in America, which is utterly ridiculous, and making up a story about finding some golden plates, it's just incredible, isn't it? But that, that has carried through the whole world and deceived thousands upon millions of people into thinking that that is what Jesus Christ is. This is deception, the highest regard. So this road of blindly embracing every spirit, every person that speaks, can lead to a more extreme, unhealthy relationship to angels and that of worshipping them. Revelation 19, verse 10, At this I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John, and he says, he said to me, Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Shouting at him, by the way, apparently. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, he shouts again at John. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. And this is where I want to close. We are to pray to God alone, who alone is omnipotent and so able to answer prayer, who alone is omniscient and therefore able to hear the prayers of all these people at once. It is right that we need the awareness of how angels perform the work of God at certain times on earth, who also interact with humans, maybe with you and me. And it's not wrong to ask for protection from God, but how God does that is not to be determined by us. Instead, we should talk to God, submit it to him in prayer, to the one who is himself the commander of the angelic beings and forces of heaven. In that we should find our delight. We should find our confidence and we should find our faith. Let's pray and then we'll worship and then we'll have communion.